Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. Hey listeners, I know you were expecting to hear from somebody else, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Bertina Ceccarelli had some scheduling conflicts that came up. And due to us being on such a tight schedule for these final two episodes, uh, we just weren't able to reschedule in a way that was going to make things work. So, unfortunately for this episode, you're stuck with me one more time. Um, Sorry for that, but I've got a pretty interesting episode put together here for you. But I do want to take a second here because I do want to still recommend... Uh, the book that uh, Bertina and Suzanne Tedrick put together uh, titled Innovating for Diversity, Lessons from Top Companies Achieving Business Success Through Inclusivity. Uh, again, I say this every time I talk about diversity and inclusion on this show. I know it can be some hot button topic issues depending on where you get your news from, uh, but I really am a believer in diversity and inclusion. I know I have a lot of military folks on here, uh, prior service military folks on here. And if you think back to how we operated, that's how diversity and inclusion really is meant to be. And the folks I have on here uh, that talk about diversity and inclusion, they, they teach it that way. You know, some of these extreme examples that get highlighted, um, you know, that's not how it gets taught in 90, I'll say 98%. I'll even give it a 2% uh, that that there's some bad actors out there. But those extreme examples, they're just like everything else, right? The extreme examples are the ones that get the airtime. 98% of the classes that get taught out there aren't indoctrination, aren't uh, apologists, aren't all this crazy stuff that you see. There are people out there that are really just trying to get people to elevate their understanding of what everybody 
is going through. It is a totality of diversity and inclusion. And I think this book really highlights that. And I think it is worth looking into and and picking up a copy because I think they do a really good job with that. So again, don't just hear those words diversity and inclusion and dismiss it based off of some sound bites, uh, some some articles that you've read that make DNI sound like some evil brainwashing initiative. It's not. I promise you, that's not how I teach it. That's not how anybody I know teaches it. That's not how anybody that's been on this podcast that I know of uh, teaches it. So just take some time, look into what real diversity and inclusion training looks like, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that it's not this uh, this kind of evil entity that it's been made out to be. Um, and kind of on that note, since I've had to kind of change things up a little bit here, I wanted to talk about another topic that is very near and dear to me because it is something that, um, you know, is inevitable. And it's one of the reasons why I'm ending this show in general, and that's change, right? Things have changed. The landscape of why I'm doing what I'm doing has changed quite a bit. Um, you know, I kind of fired things up a little bit pre-pandemic and then the pandemic hit and speaking and all that kind of really shut down. And I didn't have a name to really get out uh, and be able to capture some of those virtual speaking gigs. Uh, so the podcast really provided me a way to get my voice out there and get in front of folks and kind of build a little bit of a platform. Well, we're post-pandemic. Things are starting to open up. Uh, speaking events are starting to ramp up again. Uh, become more stable, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, things aren't closing down last minute like they were earlier on in the post-pandemic period. So I'm able to really kind of take that leap and focus on uh, the speaking piece. And that means change, right? Change also means reevaluating uh, the most limited resource we all have, which is time. And, uh, you know, like I said in podcast a couple episodes ago, that's why I'm shutting this down is to better manage the time that I have and change, right? And so I wanted to talk a little bit here about change management, because that's one of the things that was a popular uh, subject on this podcast, had a lot of experts from around the world talk on change management here. And it's something that I get asked about a lot in my coaching uh, sessions is how do I better manage change? How do I get my team more on board with the change process? Uh, you know, it comes in a lot of various forms, that question there. Why is my team so resistant to change? I don't understand. This is going to be so much better. Well, what I've found out is that it all really boils down to the change management process. And I've kind of come up with, uh, you know, just a handful of steps, really, you know, um, and depending on how you want to look at these steps, it's, you know, three, four, maybe five, uh, depending on how you want to break them out. But I think the big thing is for everyone, and if you want to count this as a step, you know, this is step one. Everyone just really has to become comfortable with the uncomfortable fact that change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. Every leader needs to be comfortable with that fact. And remember, I consider everyone to be a leader in some way, shape, or form. You're leading the person next to you just by the example of how hard you work. I don't care if you're the new person on the job, right? If you show up 
on time or early uh, with all your gear squared away and you're ready to work and, and all of these things, you're setting an example even for the person who's been there for a long time because maybe they've lost that motivation. Maybe they've lost that spark and they see that in you again. And maybe you kind of rekindle that a little bit. They may not admit it because, hey, you're the new guy and they're the old timer. But it's true. You know, you're leading them in some way, shape or form. So it doesn't matter if it's your first day on the job. You're a leader. Everybody's a leader. You got to be comfortable with the fact that change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. I've said that quote on here a lot, and I'm going to say it again probably through the course of this podcast because it is absolutely 100% undeniably true. Nothing, nothing in this world is the same that we knew even at the beginning of the week. Things have changed in Europe. Things have changed. We, we've had a submarine go missing and found and explode, right? I guess we can't call it a submarine. It's a submersible, technically. Um, things have just changed, right? Um, and, and we have to be comfortable with that fact. We don't live and operate in these stable, go to work for 40 years, do the same job, punch the same ticket, pull the same lever on the same machine because we're making the same part because people are buying the same exact product type of environments really anymore. We probably never really did as much as it seemed like we did, but there was at least that illusion there. That illusion is gone. Technology is changing. Automobiles are changing. Tires are changing. The most mundane things are changing every day. So if we can all become comfortable with the fact that everything is changing constantly, when change shows up in our lives, it's not this scary thing anymore because we're kind of inoculated against that, that fear of change being scary because, well, we know, right? Because right now when change happens, people seem blindsided by that fact. It's like, oh, I just wanted to come home. I wanted everything to be the same. And, you know, your spouse has moved the the kitchen around. Well, if you're comfortable with change happening, that's just not going to be as scary of a thing because change changes. So just that's, that's step one. Get comfortable with change happening. It's going to happen. Your route to work, you're going to be driving that same route every day. And then all of a sudden one day, road construction is going to hit and either there's going to be cones closing it down to one lane or you're going to have a detour and you're going to have to take a different route. So that's my first step. My first challenge, just get comfortable. Change is going to happen and it's going to happen in your life on a near daily, if not near constant basis. Be ready for it. Be looking out for it. Look for ways that you can initiate the change process and just don't be shocked when it happens. I know some people with, with mental health uh, issues such as stress, anxiety, uh, catastrophizing, PTSD, um, you know, some of those neurodivergent type things. I know that is very, very difficult uh, for y'all. I'm on some of those issues myself. Um, and for every person in those categories, this is going to look completely different, right? But you're going to have your different coping mechanisms for this. And it's going to look different for everybody. I'm not a therapist. I'm not here to give you those coping mechanisms, but you know, make that part of your mental health routine is 
trying to get a little bit more comfortable with change. That way it's not as big of a disruption to your system when change happens, all right? Now, this one is a little bit more for the, the leaders with authoritative leadership, but it is still kind of for the rank and file leaders as well. When, when change happens, especially major change like mergers, relocations, total product realignment, things like that, but even if it is something as we need to move the workbench from the right side of the office to the left side of the office or we need to paint the walls, you have to communicate the why behind why that change is needed. You know, this isn't just the Simon Sinek start with why. I mean, it is very much that, but it isn't just that. Because if you don't take the time to communicate that why, right? If you don't share that with your team, if you don't say, hey, we need to repaint the wall and this is why we need to do it. They're going to feel like you're holding something back. You need to be open and honest. If you need to merge with another organization, let them know why. You know, maybe you're merging because you want to acquire a piece of technology from that organization. But if you don't communicate that, then they're going to fill in that gap with we're facing financial hardship and maybe they're acquiring us, right? Every piece of information you hold back is going to get filled in with some type of rumor, some type of gossip, something like that. And you're creating holes in that narrative for that to take root. Okay? So you have to. There's no need to be secretive. There's no need to keep information from your team. If you've done your job hiring the right people, keeping the right people on board, and taking care of that process, then you can trust these people. You can trust them with the truth. Now, sure, there may be some industry secrets. There may be some proprietary secrets. There may be some legal boundaries that you just can't cross at certain points in the process. This probably applies a lot more to the folks in the C-suite, and you need to be cognizant of that. And the rank and file, the, the, the team members that aren't involved in that level of the process, you need to be aware that there are some of those limitations that as much as they want to communicate, they just can't right? That's just the nature of it. Those are some of the legalities of doing that level of business. It sucks. Uh, I, I'm sure they would love to be able to communicate that information to you. But for certain reasons, some of them are federal regulations. Some of them are just agreements with the organizations. Some of them are actually protections for you to keep another organization from coming in and swooping up the organization they're trying to merge with and taking that piece of technology away from your future. But have that trust of communication between the two of you. And that means that you have to be talking about everything constantly and building that communication trust. The point here is, when you have the change, you need to be communicating as much as you can, as often as you can, throughout the process. Again, it doesn't matter what it is. Something as simple as the paint color piece. I've seen this happen before, and this is a great way to build that two-way trust, especially with these small things, right? The simple act of having this discussion. You know, maybe you are... Maybe you are um, 
in accounting, right? And, and you know that this project's coming up and you send down, hey, we want to do white paint uh, because of X, Y, and Z, right? Maybe it's just the cheapest that's out there, okay? If you just come out and say, hey, white paint, it's cheap, and that's it, well, then when you they hear cheap, that means, oh, we're having financial issues. We're making money. We're, we're trying to save pennies here. You didn't give them the opportunity to have any feedback. So they're filling this in. If you need to let people go, right, and you have to have that conversation, it's just, well, we need to right-size the organization. That's nothing, right? That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't give anybody any confidence. If you sit there and say, hey, these are the economic downturns that we're, we're seeing, we don't want to let you go. If things look up, we want to bring you back. We value you, but this is what we have to do to keep the organization from imploding and keep us afloat so if things start looking better, we can hire you and bring you back. We have every intention of bringing you back. You're a valued employee, but just right now with the economy, we can't afford to keep everybody on. And unfortunately, you're one of the folks after a painstaking process that we had to let go. Now, it's not going to make them feel any better. They're not going to necessarily like the fact that they had to be laid off, that they had to be let go. But at least you gave them a reason. You gave them some understanding other than just a very shallow response, right? Because it's very easy to just say, uh, well, we had to right-size the organization. That was a big thing kind of in the in the 90s and early 2000s. We hired consultants and we had to right-size the organization. That, that just made a lot of people mad. That meant nothing. That didn't give you any comfort with the organization. It soured you a lot of people against it. And a lot of people just walked away with hard feelings, okay? Give feedback, give input, and you can make a bad situation good. They're going to appreciate that you cared enough to be honest with them. And this kind of ties into the next part. Yeah, you're probably like, Earl, get off the paint thing. But it's a good kind of metaphor for this, this process because with the paint thing, when you talk about this and you get people involved, you can find out about your team and make them feel like they're part of the process. Because if you have that discussion, right, and you show people that you care enough to include them in the why, include them in the discussion, and you give them some honest information, then it ties into the next step here of getting their ideas. So, you know, let's go back to the white wall. We're doing white because it's it's cheap, right? Well, maybe somebody says, well, do we have any room in the budget for a different color? And then maybe the discussion is, well, why? Why would we want a different color? And somebody says, well, look, you know, one of my hobbies, and this is a thing, because I know some of you are going to kind of chuckle at this, um, but one of my hobbies is I like to paint, and I really get into color theory, and I know that there's um, a lot of science behind how colors affect our moods, you know, and let's say you're in a scientific environment. You know, you may want to, for instance, uh, paint the walls blue. Blue colors have been shown to calm the brain, reduce mental strain, and that may be a color that you want to that you want to consider. You would have never known this if you don't bring it if you didn't bring it to your team, 
get them involved in the change process, have the conversation, give them the opportunity to provide some feedback and hear that. That's cognitive diversity. You've heard me talk about that a lot before. Um, maybe you spend a lot of time staring at a computer screen, right? So maybe you want some green colors in the room to reduce that mental uh, fatigue and eye strain. These are things that you might learn during that process simply by communicating and then bringing people in because that's that next step. Bring the team into the process. Um, I, even on furloughs, right? I've shared the story here before. Um, Simon Sinek does a good job of sharing the story of, of Barry Way Miller. Bob Chapman uh, shares the, jo- uh, the story even better in his book, um, uh, Truly Human Leadership, where he talks about Barry Way Miller during the 2008 economic crisis. Short story. Uh, it's a long story made short. They were facing uh, furloughing people. They communicated the reason why, and uh, Bob challenged his people to come up with a solution where nobody suffered disproportionately, including himself, right? So essentially, the janitor wasn't going to suffer more than Bob, the, the CEO, right? And what they found out by communicating the why behind it, why everybody, it was important that everybody shared an equal share of the burden. They found that people that were a little bit more well off to shoulder the load pitched in to help the people who weren't. Okay. So I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's say it came out to everybody was going to take a two week furlough. The people who were a little bit more financially stable offered to take, say, a week from people who weren't okay so people pitched in they made everything better they found a way change didn't become so scary because you communicated it and you made it uh, you made it less scary so that is part of the power of communicating and bringing people into the process so I hope that you're starting to see right now why this process is so important. And I hope this is making sense, right? Because if you get comfortable with change is going to happen and you communicate why the change is happening and you bring the people into the change process, then you're really going to get a much better solution to Whatever the problem is, whatever the change is that you have to um, initiate, right? And when you listen to them and you truly listen to them, again, we're talking about building that relationship capital and you implement those changes, you're showing them even more how valued that they are. If you fail to use that feedback, however, remember I always talk about you're being on display as a leader. You're always on display, well, basically, you're telling them that they don't matter. You're undermining all of that, and you're building in a lot of, of issues, right? So you want to use this feedback as much as you can. How you handle the feedback in the change process really is crucial to the outcomes. You're telling them exactly how valuable they really are to the organization. If you listen, you implement it, or you at least discuss it, 
And then if you can't, tell them why, right? Communication is key. So very critical piece there. And then finally, and I think this is extremely critical. Um, one of my guests, and I want to say it was Erica Anderson back in episode 153. I could be wrong on this, but she made an absolutely brilliant point. It's something I had witnessed, but I'd never really been able to put my finger on it until she said it. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here, um, but she said something to the effect of, in my years of helping organizations manage change, what I found out is most change champions are only champions for change they believe in. Once people start trying to change their change, they become just as change resistant as everybody else. And that is absolutely true. I have seen so many people put forth some type of change initiative. And then when people start trying to change their change, they get resistance. They want to shut it down. They, they become anti-change to their change. Truth is, if you want change to be effective, if you want to get the most out of the process, if you want to get the most out of that cognitive diversity that we've been talking about, you have to be open to the change that you put out there changing. Change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. And that means change is going to change while you are changing. I know that's a lot of change. And I know this is maybe a little hard to follow at times. But the point is, you have to be okay with change changing. Uh, Secretary of State Colin Powell, back when he was General Colin Powell, uh, he put together what he called the thir his 13 rules. And one of them was avoid having your ego so close to your position that when your position falls, your ego goes with it. That rule to me is at the heart of this issue. We wrap our personal egos in the change we champion. And when somebody wants to change our change, we take it personal, much like Michael Jordan did. And we let our egos get in the way of seeing the potential in the change that was suggested to our change. So it's, it's the thing we see in other people when we say, well, they're just change resistant. They don't want change to happen. But we have such a hard time seeing it in ourselves when people suggest changes to our change. There's another old saying that goes, it's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. And we struggle with that when people are trying to change our change. So the final step in this process is be okay when you ask for that feedback, when you ask for that cognitive diversity input, be okay with the change that you initially put forward, be okay with that change changing. Because the truth is, as I mentioned at the very beginning, change is constant. Change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. And nobody is immune to that. From the new hire to the most senior C-suite executive, everything is constantly changing. And change is going to change while you're changing. And the change that you change today is going to need to change tomorrow. And the crucial element to this entire conversation is if you don't nail this process from beginning to end, then 
you're going to just struggle. Your your organization is going to be in a constant state of turmoil because you're going to be struggling with this level of change. But if you get this right, you're going to be reflexive, responsive. You're going to be able to go through this change process in a much faster manner. It's going to be just second nature to you. You're going to have a lot less, not zero, keep that, that's very important, not zero, but less conflict than other organizations. You're never going to eliminate conflict. That's a myth, right? Anybody who tells you they're going to eliminate conflict with any process, they're lying to you. You can reduce it. You're never going to eliminate conflict. Conflict's healthy. You want that there to kind of push things a little bit. But you're going to be able to get less conflict than other organizations. You're going to have a happier, healthier, more productive, and engaged work environment because everybody's going to feel valued, listened to, like they can pitch in and be part of the process. And that's going to give everyone a competitive advantage, not just the organization. The team member is going to have an advantage. They're going to be happier, healthier at work. Their families are going to have an advantage. Their their spouses, and maybe both of them work for the organization, but they're going to have an advantage because they're going to be happier at work, come home happier, probably make more money, feel less stress, be healthier. All that's going to affect their family. The customers that they deal with on a daily basis are going to see that because they're going to be happier. They're going to be better interactions. And then when they go out in their communities, they're going to notice. They're going to be happier. They're going to be healthier. They're going to be more likely to participate. And so getting this right as an organization is going to have a ripple effect through families, through communities, through customer service, through product service, throughout the entire organization. So getting the change management process nailed down is extremely important. So let me go ahead and summarize that here because I know that was a lot of information. But in summary, change is happening. It's not if, it's when. Be comfortable with that. Be ready for it. It's going to happen. When change, small or large, happens, communicate it as much as possible. Keep in mind any legal or absolutely necessary secrets that you have to keep, that you're obligated to keep. So in summary, remember, change is going to happen. It's not if, it's when. Be ready and open to it. It's going to happen. When change, small or large, happens, communicate as much as possible. Keep in mind any legal or absolutely necessary secrets that you are obligated to keep, but otherwise, communicate as much as absolutely possible, as often as possible. Your team will thank you for it. Get your team involved in the process. Listen to and incorporate their input. This is going to build trust and get that snowball rolling. Don't get your ego so involved that you aren't willing to change your change. It's critical that if you're going to be a change champion, you have to be a champion for change to your own change. And then realize very simply, kind of circling back in this change cycle, that the change you change today will need to change again tomorrow. That's just reality. Look for the change get ahead of it, and get your organization on the track to being comfortable with change. So that's kind of my take on the steps behind a good change management model, change management cycle. And if you can nail those things down, I think your organization is going to be head and shoulders above most organizations that really struggle uh, with the change process. Um, Again, we got one more episode after this. It's going to be Mr. Jim Bouchard. You're going to love him. Y'all loved his first episode a few years back. 
And I can't think of a better guest to end this show with. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and close out and uh, let you all uh, get on with your day. But thank you very much. And if you have any comments, please go ahead and hit me in the uh, in the social media post here that this is probably linked to where you found this. I'm looking forward to hear what your thoughts are on change. So thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Look forward to speaking with you and Jim in the next episode. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.